Reed, you're a big music guy. So I'm wondering, what is your perspective on Yacht Rock? I love it. I'm a big Yacht Rock fan myself. Came across a website that's called Yacht or Not. And it basically gives an independent ranking of various different songs to determine if it's a Yacht Rock song or a Nyat Rock song, so to speak. I like it. When you think of your favorite Yacht Rock song, what, what springs to mind? Christopher Cross, maybe. Sailing. So Sailing ranks 94.5 on the Yacht Rock scale, or they call it the Yacht Ski scale. I'm a big Steely Dan guy. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites is uh, Deacon Blues. Deacon Blues ranks 91. Michael Jackson on the list. Michael Jackson does make the list. In his top two songs on the Yatsky score are Human Nature mm. and Baby Be Mine. What is that? I don't know. That's something either. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 303. Chris, that is, uh, what is that? It's like same forward and backwards. A palindromic number, right? Well, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And Reed, you have your, uh, I would call it your Michael McDonald voice today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Are we playing Yacht Rock music in the background right now? Uh, for those who listen. I will say that it's a continuous loop in the background of my office here is Yacht Rock Music. Well, welcome one and all to the show. We certainly appreciate uh, you tuning in. I want to give a quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can go to sign up for the TPS report. You may be asking yourself, what's the TPS report? Well, that is a email. comes out each Monday morning with just a couple of articles to kick your week off. You know, we'd love for you to sign up. We'd love for you to be a part of that group. We promise we're not going to try to sell you anything. That's really all it's ever used for is just to uh, kick out a weekly email. So hopefully that will be useful to you. Again, touchpoint.health is the website. You can also obviously nose around over there, uh, see what we've covered in future and historical episodes, what's coming up, what we've done in the past, other shows on the network, all that fun stuff. So we'll pause here for just one second. Let you go check that out, and then we'll be back with uh, today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint. 
where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, today's topic came together through a series of a number of things. In this week's TPS report, there was an article featured, Healthcare's Newest Pivot, Consumer Identity as the Cornerstone of Digital Health. And it really kind of painted a picture of how the healthcare, digital healthcare consumer today is very nuanced and and different. I think you're right. We've talked about consumerism for a long time, right? I mean, relatively speaking, a long time. We have. I mean, in our world, a long time. I mean, our world, you know, a decade ago is like the beginning of time. When I say a long time, and you and I have talked about this, but kind of the pre and post pandemic definition or talk track around certain topics. And I think consumerism falls in there that probably what we're talking about today was, is not exactly the same as what we were talking about beforehand. It's a lot different, right? The, the healthcare consumer is very nuanced and it's not just the pandemic. I think there's a lot of things with the healthcare consumer that I'm just not sure that we as health systems are hundred percent clear on or even ready for what that means. At least that's my perspective. Yeah. And I, I would even say, I would wager a guess that pre pandemic, when we talked about consumerism or the topic of consumerism, it was very, um, I don't know if marketing focused is the right way to say it, but it was about communication, you know, communicating with the consumer. And there were some mechanisms to that, like online scheduling or chat bots or something to that effect. It was around the idea of communication. I would say now that stretches into, you know, being inclusive of how they actually want to receive their care. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about setting up the appointment or having the tools or the online scheduling to to actually make the appointment, but it's also then the delivery of what they scheduled, you know, happening on their terms or online, or, you know, that's where the virtual and telehealth pieces come in and that kind of thing. That's not to say though, that our communication aspects aren't still important. Mm -hmm. Certainly they are. And understanding that healthcare consumer is still a critical part of what marketing's role is in all of this. But you're indeed right, Reed. It extends into all aspects of their care. The modern healthcare consumer brings those consumeristic expectations to every point of the care journey with our health systems and even outside of our health systems. Again, I think the ecosystem is completely different. You know, the ambulatory space is not just, you know, what strip center do you own that has an urgent care clinic? It's completely different now. So we look at behavioral health and the way we're deploying that to the virtual and telehealth options, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been keeping our eye on a couple of interesting studies that are trying their best to identify uh, those U.S. consumer trends and how they really lead to consumerism. And one of the first studies that we'll dive into is from Stericycle. They just released their 2022 U.S. Consumer Trends and Patient Engagement Survey. In this, they collected responses from over a 1,000 adults in the United States, and it investigates the different options facing the consumers today and some of the trends that they're seeing. Why don't we highlight a couple of those today, Reed? First one they call out is convenience, and I don't think that's going to be a shocker to anybody. I mean, certainly there is some 
qualifier around, you know, the level of the acuity, but folks are interested in, you know, the physical location, but the convenience, how easy is it? And they say that 61% said the convenience of location was the top reason for making their selection. That's something that we've talked about before, but here's an interesting one talking about communications. Uh, Another huge finding is that patients are satisfied with their provider communications but they are also feeling that the follow-up is lacking. They hold all the survey respondents to determine how they feel about the level of communication. And in general, they were satisfied with that. And, and it was actually an overall increase from their previous study, which was great to hear. But it also revealed that 20% of all patients didn't receive clear post-visit follow-up instructions And nearly all respondents who had received treatment in the ER, 91% of them, needed some form of follow-up care. That's kind of interesting to to highlight. Next one on the list is that it turns out that people still talk on the phone. Uh, (laughs) The the phone's not dead. And uh, despite, they say, the convenience of, you know, things like online scheduling and telehealth, uh, that live voice is still a big plus for a provider. So 57% of patients scheduled their most recent appointment over the phone. And, and about nine, nine out of 10 have scheduled over the phone, at least, you know, some of the time, like in the recent, in recent history. So now obviously this is stratified based on different demographics and things like that. So it does, it does fall off where you're looking at, you know, just 46% of those 18 to 24 scheduled their most, you know, recent visit via phone. I guess my question there is, is like, was that done because that was the only option or that's what they preferred, so to speak, you know, but, but the point being is like, don't just dismiss the idea that, you know, people still, especially some, some folks still want to talk to somebody. That's a good point that you just brought up. Uh, here's another interesting trend that they're finding. Telehealth usage is trending down. In 2020, 71% of respondents to their survey said they had a telehealth visit. 78% in 2021. But this year, it dropped down to 45%. So that's a significant drop, almost in half. So they tried to explore this further in their study, and they asked, like, what type of care was preferable for telehealth? Typically, patients reported back primary care and mental health as their most preferred way to use telemedicine. But still, 93% of patients reported having in-person visits in a primary care setting. So this speaks to the fact that telehealth maybe getting over that hype cycle and maybe starting to drop down significantly. I'm wondering if it's going to pick back up. I think you'll see it level out. And two, I think it depends on the modality or kind of what you're talking about uh, to your point. So next thing they call out, uh, delayed care. People are still putting off, especially preventative or wellness-based things. So this idea that you know, they say half of younger adults and, and a third of all adults report delaying care in the last year and for several reasons. There's the financial piece. There's the lack of availability. There is some still safety concerns uh, of people going back into healthcare settings. And quite honestly, they even mentioned, you know, forgetting to schedule. So I think you get out of the habit of doing it, you know, with the pandemic knocked everybody off kind of their annual recurring visit, if you will. You just get out of the habit of doing it. 
Not only are they getting out of the habit of doing it, Reed, another finding here is that there's more interest from that modern consumer now to pursue care in non-traditional avenues. Nearly half of all the survey respondents this year reported receiving care from a non-traditional venue, like a retail location or a virtual care platform that's not associated with a hospital. And within that group, 95% indicated they would do it again. They would go back to that. And this is particularly true among younger adults. 63% of the younger age group believe that care from a retail venue is just as good as a dedicated healthcare provider. People ages 55 and older are only about 30% there. But think about that. The younger generation now, 63% of them are saying they're getting as good of care, if not better, than their dedicated healthcare provider. That's ominous to me. I would say probably a lot of that is because the outcomes are the same, right? I mean, you have the flu. I mean, there's really only one course of treatment. It's not like, you know, there's some heightened level of expertise needed, you know, to prescribe a drug, you know, or something like that. So I'd be interested to see kind of where that goes. The last thing they call out here is that reviews, uh, online reviews are very important, especially with those that are younger. So 72% of those in kind of the 18 to 34 year old category say online reviews have a, have a real impact on their choice of where they decide to receive care. Now, 55 and older, you know, are only at about, you know, 35, 40%, but still that's a meaningful number. And so as people get older and age into the healthcare system, you know, uh, we're looking at, you know, three out of four, you know, are, are putting a lot of weight on um, online reviews. You know, I'm wondering if that is a trend that is related to age, if that, like you, like you kind of alluded to there, is that as they get older and they get more complex with their care, they're going to pursue more traditional settings? Or is it really that they're going to be bringing forward that the modern 18 to 34 year old, when they get older and diagnosed with cancer, they're going to continue to seek out, you know, all of these different solutions that we discussed above. Reed, after the break, why don't we come back and talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we as traditional healthcare systems face in embracing consumerism. And spoiler alert, some of those are actually in the consumer themselves. But we'll do that right after this pause. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Chris. So now let's jump into the challenges of consumerism. I found an article from... Our good friends over uh, at patientengagementhit.com uh, called Poor Personalized Healthcare Limits Healthcare Consumerism. So we talk a lot about personalization, right? So, I mean, it's not a big walk uh, to understand how that impacts, you know, the idea of consumerism, I guess. Yeah. And so they surveyed 3,500 consumers. Again, a lot of surveys going on around healthcare consumers. I'm surprised I haven't been contacted by someone yet. Nonetheless, they say that 
patient engagement and self-management are on the rise in the new consumer, but seven out of 10 of those say they want their healthcare providers to be more involved in that engagement. What ways are, do they outline, Reed, that they want them involved? Do you think we're really doing personalization? I mean, I know that's not really the topic we're talking about today. Right. But as we think about consumerism, I think that becomes a bigger and bigger issue because the people want it specific to them. I mean, that's kind of part of the consumerism piece, right? And so to their point, you know, how many organizations truly are primed, uh, as they say, to, to integrate that approach? I, I don't know. It's just an interesting, maybe a topic for a different day, but. No, I think it's a good topic, Reed, because if you think about it, right, when we talk about personalization, depending on who you ask, that answer may be different. Funny enough, right? For us digital marketers, personalization is understanding people's preferences, maybe their communication preferences, maybe their interests and topics or whatever, and making sure that we're crafting the way we communicate with them to align with those preferences. And that's personalization. But this article, this study from Kaufman Hall that this article is highlighting actually extends what personalization means to the consumer. They highlight things that the consumer is saying, this is where we want our personalization to occur. And I'm wondering if we as health systems are actually meeting that challenge, right? So I'll give you some examples here. 41% of respondents said they want their health systems to support them with healthy eating habits. 40% of them want them to pay for exercise equipment or programs. Isn't that crazy? It's a big number. I don't know how that works. The only way that works is, you know, if we're looking at this as, you know, at risk populations and things like that, right? Or it, because somebody's got to pay for all this stuff at some point. Like the hospital can't just, or the provider can't just, you know, start giving everybody Pelotons. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how that, you know, I don't know how that works. But they also have that, you know, 39% want systems to provide virtual. You know, patient provider communications to discuss, you know, symptoms. Okay, well, depending on the nuances of that, I think that's what we're talking about or doing. Yeah, this reminds me of kind of what health insurance companies have been doing. I hear about some health insurance companies are giving incentives to their covered members to reward them if they go exercise, for example, or reward them if they go to have a gym membership or, or take money off of their, you know, annual or whatever their, their monthly charge, right. For their insurance, if they're eating healthier and even more so they're providing like these nurse hotlines that you can call and have conversations with. The intention there is for them to improve the quality of, of the member's life in order to, you know, ultimately get you know, support the bottom line of that health insurance provider, if you really think about it. But it sounds like consumers now are wanting health systems to meet that need. You're right. The economics of that just doesn't play out. No. They go on to talk about how patients are taking wellness uh, and kind of their, their overall health management into their own hands with 34% saying they are managing their diet and nutrition. I mean, aren't we all managing our diet? We may not be managing it well. <laughs> but we're all doing that. Anyway, 31% saying they use a fitness tracker. Uh, that's kind of interesting. You know, 29% saying that they're engaged in physical health activities, 22% receiving mental health services, 18%, you know, practicing self-care, you know, et cetera. So I think this becomes a bigger thing as wearables have become more 
I guess, equitable. You know, they're they're everywhere. Uh, a lot of people have Apple Watches, right? So sometimes it's built into something you have. You didn't buy it for that reason, if that makes sense. It's interesting, though, that the, this article points out that despite consumers wanting us providers to integrate that into our medical visits, we're falling short. And part of that is limited patient access to care, which we've talked about before, and also narrow health insurance coverage that could be playing into that. The article highlights that people who get employer-sponsored insurance coverage have only about 38% or 33% of their plan option in order to support this. That narrows the opportunity for the financial incentives to support this request. Having these fewer payer options means healthcare consumers can't shop around for a provider who meets their needs. And those providers who don't have affordable options are designing experiences that patients just can't access anymore. There's so many, I guess, influences on kind of what makes you a consumer. I, people like to equate this to like, well, I can do everything else in my life online. You know, that, that continues to be a pretty common argument. You know, insurance, for example, does not play into that equation in most of those experiences that you're referencing. So buying something on Apple's website or Amazon or, or whatever, you're not having to take into account, like, is this other entity going to allow me to do this? Right. Or, or, or whatever. So it's just it's a little bit of a convoluted system as it stands. It doesn't make it right or wrong necessarily. It's just different. This is that whole conflation of what does healthcare mean? What does healthcare consumerism mean? And it's spread over now retail experiences, health insurance providers and us in the traditional healthcare delivery setting. There's one other thing to read that we should probably address about healthcare consumerism that kind of reinforces the fact that maybe healthcare consumers are really not acting as consumers. The last article in the show notes that we're linking to is from Forbes, and it has a headline that tells it all. 64% of consumers have never tried to find healthcare prices, a new survey shows. (laughs) There was a brief survey released from AKASA, a healthcare AI company. They were trying to determine if the whole concept of price transparency is encouraging consumers to compare prices and actively shop for care, spoiler alert, it isn't, right? So that's interesting, right? We talk about this idea of shopping for care. You think people really shop for care? I don't know. I'm going to tell you that my own personal experience, which is probably tainting this whole my whole perspective on this, is that there is a certain amount of shopping I do around open enrollment season where I'm trying to decide mm. what my health coverage will be over the next year. And our family, we, we sit down and we kind of try to map out what are our planned expenditures over the upcoming year, what's the right health plan to, uh, for us to go to. And even when we're kind of deciding HSA and FSAs and things like that, right? But when it actually comes to where I get my care, I personally will always side with what's in my coverage, what does my insurance cover as in my tier one and tier two plans? And then secondly, how convenient is that care offering to me? I don't think that's necessarily the shopping aspect. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I don't think they do. And that's really what kind of bears out here from our friends over at Forbes, right? Is that two thirds of those that they surveyed, you know, never tried to price 
healthcare services. The article goes down to break down a little bit more of the study, right, about different subgroups and, and how they're changing. But it, just in general, people that have tried to find healthcare prices are in the minority right now. It almost rivals the level of people that are using social media channels to seek out care, which is an interesting parallel that they draw here. They're looking for healthcare pricing on social media as much as they are going to the traditional places. I mean, again, I think it it goes back to the ecosystem. To your point, the ecosystem you find yourself in. Then they call it out in here, if you're on a high deductible plan with a ton of out-of-pocket, then you're more likely to shop around maybe not a whole lot more likely, but a little bit more likely to shop around than those that, you know, are kind of on that commercial kind of standard group insurance, you know, that, that most of us that have, you know, worked in a, in a role somewhere, a big company or whatever, you know, kind of used to, right? Like there's a deductible, but it's not like the high deductible plan, you know? So you end up kind of going where your co-pays are and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's in network, you know, that's kind of the shopping you're doing. It's, it's an interesting world that we live in. But so, you know, as we take a step back again, Reed, healthcare consumerism is not exactly what it promises to be, maybe is a way to say it. And I'm just wondering that if we, in the traditional healthcare space, as providers, are we really ready for that consumerism? Yeah, I mean, I think we're ready. I don't know that we're equipped necessarily. So maybe we're not ready, I guess. But I don't know any other way to do this than starting down this path. And that really kind of for it's kind of like tele or virtual solutions during the pandemic. I mean, everybody went from like zero to a million uh, telehealth visits like in 24 hours because they just had to. Well, that's probably where we are with a lot of these topics as well, right? It's like it's just going to be market demand at some point that's going to force force our hand around a lot of this stuff. Well, with that, Reed, why don't we take a break here and then we'll come back and we'll listen into an interview I had with Rob Klein from Klein and Partners. We had a great conversation because they did a study on some of the things that are impacting the healthcare consumer too, and things that organizations, healthcare organizations like us, need to keep mind of. We'll listen to that interview and then we will be back afterwards to close out the show. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am delighted, over the moon, I should say, to have Rob Klein from Klein and Partners joining our show. Rob, you and I have known each other for years, and it's a surprise that it's taken this long to get you on our podcast. Well, we're slow but steady. (laughs) Rob, you are very influential in our space. A lot of people know you. They know your organization, Klein and Partners. But there may be a few people listening in that don't know about you or or your company's background. Would you mind like sharing a little bit about yourself and Klein and Partners? 
I'd be happy to. First of all, thanks, Chris, for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited about sharing some information today. Klein and Partners, we are a national healthcare market research firm and brand consulting firm. I've been doing this for almost 40 years now, I hate to admit, but it's been about that long. And our primary practice is in helping our clients find their brand voice. So we do a lot of brand equity measurement, advertising, testing, and tracking, uh, website experience measurement. And we work with hospitals and health systems of all shapes and sizes around the country. You're also very well known, Klein and Partners is very well known for uh, publishing a lot of studies in this space that I would hazard to say that many people listening in have seen some of your studies. And today we're going to do a deep dive on one of them that just recently got published. Uh, and that's the 2022 National Consumer Insights Study. So Rob, let's let's talk a little bit about that first. What led to the development of the study? And, and tell us a little bit about, about the background. I've actually been doing, I used to call them my kitchen sink study because we would throw lots of questions in that everybody was interested in during the year. So this is probably the ninth or 10th year we've been doing it. So it's something that I that I fund and it's just a, it's a pay it forward for the, the wonderful clients and friends I've had over these many decades. So I like to be able to give back to our community. So it's something I, I field every year. And this year we talked to a thousand heads of household healthcare decision makers around the country and asked them a series of questions about what's going on with their attitudes and behaviors towards healthcare. I don't want to say post COVID, but as we're, as we're coming out of the, the, the COVID world. I think it's great that, that you've done this study quite regularly because the, the consumer mindset has shifted a lot over the last you know three to four years, I guess. And as we're getting into this current state, there are some significant things that are kind of shifting the way they think about healthcare and the way they consume healthcare. Oh, we can't overstate that point, Chris. <laughs> Today's consumer is so markedly different in such a short time frame. I think is what is is so dramatic, this shift that we as an industry have to adapt to just as quickly. I know that your study has some some key findings that you're 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 seeing that are kind of disrupting the way our industry needs to react to this new consumer mindset. And I want to get into those because I, th- I think they're paint a really interesting picture about the modern healthcare consumer. Let's drill into a couple of the things that you found. What's one of the key disruptors that you're seeing out there? There are many, but let's start with the one that I think impacts everything else. And I'm calling it COVID brain. And I don't mean clinically. It, I mean that our brains are like CPUs and they're overheated. There's been so much going on over the past several years that it's really impacting people's cognitive processing. And by that, I mean it's impacting memory, attention span, um, patience, unfortunately, and what I call brand linkage. So as I, as I kind of um, parse those out, so memory, people are just having trouble remembering simple things. We've all struggled with this. Like, oh God, what's that person's name? Oh, I forgot my mask going in the store. Those simple things. In fact, in my survey, um, more than a quarter of Americans said that I'm having trouble remembering simple things. They agreed to that. It's significantly higher among millennials, 40%. Of millennials wow. and 39% of parents said, I'm having trouble remembering things. And then when we look at um, attention span, I find it harder to concentrate and pay attention to things. Almost half of millennials said that described them. Three out of 10 Americans, adult Americans in general, 
said that described them. 33%, a third of Americans said, I find myself losing my patience easier than before. We are unfortunately seeing that too regularly playing out on airlines and even in emergency rooms and in lines at retail stores. So it's almost like we've, we've forgot our, we've given up on our social graces. And it really is, that is a struggle. As people, we've been disrupted so much by the pandemic. It's kind of, I always attribute it to, we, we kind of forgot how it is to be as a society together. But this is a little bit more profound than that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's very, it's very deep seated. And there's, there's so much that we could unpack from a, a sociological standpoint and an anthropological standpoint that's probably beyond the time since we don't have cocktails with us. And then lastly, a, a third of Americans said, even if I remember an ad, I find it harder to remember who the company was. Wow. And that's that brand linkage. And I'm finding that. Here's the interesting thing. Since we're talking to fellow marketers here, when you are developing any type of brand dialogue with your constituents, whether it's traditional ads, digital ads, your website, any way that you are conversing with your constituents, um, just have to remember that their memory, attention span, and patience and brand linkage are diminished right now. What that means is we have to change the way we dialogue with them. That means our messaging has to be simple, catchy, or engaging, repetitive, and the brand has to be the star. Think Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15%. They have over and over. In fact, Geico wins awards for being the most effective advertising in a category with low attention. And healthcare is low, at low attention. Consumers weren't listening to us that much beforehand. I had a uh, I had a, a lady in a focus group say, you know, I hate to admit this, but I spent more time picking out my new flat screen TV than I did picking my new primary care doctor. And everybody laughed in the group and said, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That is, the, we were facing that challenge before. It's just exacerbated now coming out of COVID. So we really have to think about how are we talking with our consumers? Are we being simple in our messaging? Are we being catchy or engaging? Is it something relevant? Because if they don't care about it, they're not going to pay attention. And is it repetitive? You know, as advertisers, we talk about reaching frequency all the time. I think frequency is becoming the more important um, factor that we have to take into consideration. The, the old days, the rule of thumb was they have to hear an ad or see an ad three times to remember it. I'll bet you that's two or three times that now. Yeah, I would imagine that too. And we're in a world, right, where we're, we've now become much more dependent on, uh, you know, our digital screens to facilitate work and, and, and uh, facilitate everything basically in our lives. Digital has grown up as a channel. That's what I've been thinking about over the last couple of years, right? That digital is now a valid way of how healthcare consumers are consuming things. But the very same screens that we're using to do a lot of other things related to healthcare are also being dominated by other brands. So there's a lot of noise, a lot of digital noise out there too. I imagine that's a challenge for uh, brand marketers in this space. Absolutely. And that's where that the brand has to be the star. You know, the days of having a 60 second Steven Spielberg movie advertisement on TV are over, you know, where you, you have this incredible ad that's all warm and fuzzy, and then the brand is revealed at the end. You've lost them after a few seconds. We need to kind of go back to the days 
of what's called USP, unique selling proposition. You know, the days of Ross or Reeves and Leo Burnett and those great advertisers where they're like, we're not trying to win any awards for some great movie. We're trying to sell a product and the brand has to be the star. So if it's TV, that brand name needs to be early on and repetitive. If it's radio, you have to repeat the brand name throughout. If it's print, don't put a logo really small in the corner. It won't get seen. We can't be afraid. Advertising's sole purpose is just to sell a product or service. That's all it's meant to do. And so the better you're able to connect their problem and you are the solution, not, oh, I really like that, but I don't know who it is. In fact, that's what I'm seeing in my, my ad recall studies right now. Ad recall is high, but brand linkage is terrible. It's well below my my threshold scores of prior years. So people are saying, I remember the ad. They're actually recalling the message correctly. But then when we say, who was this? They're like, I don't know. They're giving up on their cognitive. They don't want to work hard anymore to remember who it is. In fact, that's why with our website experience work, we're finding that people are giving up. If they can't find what they want in like three clicks, they're like, okay, forget it. I'll go somewhere else. I remember that kind of harkens back to a book that I read about website design that's, I don't know, 20 years old now, right? And it was called Don't Make Me Think. And those words are never so true as they are today. If we put a cognitive load on a person, they're not going to, they're going to give up and they're going to go the, the easier route, whatever that might be. It could be a competitor, it could be others, right? Absolutely. So we, there is so much, and if, until we're talking about um, uh, digital messaging, that's where Gen Z is getting their information and having their healthcare experiences. So, you know, young people, when I'm, again, when I'm doing other research outside of the, this national consumer insight, when I look at younger people don't feel like they need a primary care physician. And when I ask them, well, who's your doctor in focus groups, they just, they pull up their phone. Oh, my doctor's here. I do a virtual. <laughs> it's, it's a very different mindset for them. And so for them to have a primary care visit, they'll do it virtually or they'll go to a, an urgent care center. Maybe it's a city MD because they don't feel that they need that relationship yet. So their definition of loyalty is about access. Open what I want, they're available what I want. It's basically, I can get care when I want it, where I want it, how I want it, whom I want it. That paradigm shift is huge. That is significant. And it kind of leads to another key finding that you have, because we talk about for the millennial, right, that their doctor is the phone. Technology is certainly having a huge uh, impact, too. It's, it's, it's being disruptive in this space. Is that right? Absolutely. In fact, we are going to see more technological disruption in the next couple of years than we have faced in the last 20. It has gone from zero to space in, in no time. We have demonstrated through COVID that we can innovate when push comes to shove. We came up with virtual visits from hardly anyone doing them. And that's why you had the disruptors like Teladoc and Amwell and MD Live. You had those, I call them interlopers, but those disruptors came in. Technology was happening to us, not by us. Then COVID comes and we all stepped up and we went from zero to 100 miles an hour overnight in getting our, our virtual visits up and running. We've now told Americans, you know what? We can innovate. We just haven't really wanted to in the past. We cannot go backwards now. So now they're saying, okay, I want online scheduling. Okay, I want, I want this or I want that. I want, I want pricing up front. I want a single bill. 
We can't go back to, no, that's too hard. We can't do that. We've now proven that we can innovate. And I'll tell you, in my brand studies, before COVID, the online virtual visits, they had market shares that were leading. Now with COVID, all of around the country, all of their market shares have dropped back into the single digits in my client markets and our clients and their competitors, their traditional competitors, they are now leading on virtual visits. So talking about cause and effect being able to play out here in almost an accidental experiment, we have shown we can take back control of our destiny from an innovation standpoint when we, when we have to and when we want to. I remember when I got in the space many years ago, the website was kind of a nice to have. Now they're imperative. In fact, they they become kind of the central way that people are, are beginning or continually interacting with their care throughout their entire care experience with, you know, and for our health system brands, that's, that's significant. This whole concept of now, this is why these disruptors are kind of coming into the space. They see an opportunity here. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, you know, websites are big, they are a digital brand dialogue and they can have a huge impact on how people feel about your brand. They're not just a, when I'm a patient, I, I go here to find a phone number or, inter, you know, get a doctor, things like that. They are a sales tool. So but just lookers and potential patients are coming to your sites to see, do I want to partner? Do I want to become a customer of this brand? They are an acquisition tool just as much as they are a navigation and retention tool. And I'll say, speaking of disruptors, we tested nine different uh, disruptive technologies that we're seeing out there. Three came to the top. COVID has taught us that we can get everything delivered to home, hasn't it? Well, that includes healthcare. The three disruptors that, that consumers around the country were most interested in were urgent care at home, hospital at home, and remote patient monitoring. I have a client that has a command center that they can they can monitor remotely their chronically ill patients around the world. It looks like a small NASA. It's, it's spectacular how advanced they are. The three things that consumers want most from healthcare are not brick and mortar. They don't want us to build more hospitals and more, you know, centers. They want us to bring care to them. And they want urgent care at home. They want hospital home. Get me out of the hospital. You know, get me home. Finish taking care of me at home. And then if I've got a chronic condition, let's say diabetes or, or asthma, you can monitor me at home or wherever I go in the world. For those that know me, I have my robisms. Well, one of my robisms is time is the new currency. You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. We have just lost two years of our lives that we're never going to get back. That gives us a lot to think about. Now, there there is another key disruption that's happening here, Rob, that I really I'd like for us to kind of narrow in on a little bit because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about as well is like, how do consumers think about pricing and billing, right? The whole cost part of this. You, you found some interesting results in your study, right? Oh, I did. In fact, I call them the trouble twins. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yes. Upfront pricing and back-end billing. Those two things do more to undo a great experience than anything else. They're also really eroding a consumer's trust in us. We've got a lot of trust to rebuild. Some of it is all of the polit politicalization of COVID that's happened where people don't 
either trust a politician, they don't trust the CDC, they don't trust Fauci, or they don't trust their doctor. There's on both sides, there's a lot of mistrust going on. That's above our pay grade. I don't know how we fix that. But what's in our control as healthcare providers is pricing and billing. So let's let's take those separately and talk about pricing first and then billing. In our study, one in five Americans have price shopped recently. They're mostly price shopping for outpatient testing and imaging. So like a blood test or getting an MRI, something like that. That's the most common thing that they're they're shopping for. 53% of, so more than half, chose the least expensive option. So that means one out of every 10 consumers is going with the cheapest option. That means that's the predominant factor in their choice, not necessarily convenience or quality, things like that. I'm finding more and more clinical quality is becoming a table stake, especially with younger folks like Gen Z and millennials. And it's access and service uh, um, that is really becoming the differentiator today. And I know that's hard for my, my academic medical center clients to hear, but it's not that we don't ever talk about quality. Just recognize that can't be your entire brand story because they're like, yeah, but everybody else is probably fairly good too. So what else? How can you make my life convenient and easy? What's happening with that is, say you're a system. We know systems, they want, consumers want the left hand to know what the right hand's doing. So if you say, I am a system, that means no matter where I access you, I'm getting that experience. And that goes to pricing. What they're doing, these price shoppers, they'll say, oh, I need an MRI. At your hospital, it's $2,000, but at your outpatient center, it's $600. Right there, they, they don't trust you and they haven't even used you yet. They think you're pulling a fast one. We've got to get that figured out. And they don't want our excuses about, well, it has to be more expensive at the hospital because of X, Y, Z. Consumers are saying, I don't care. Then they have their patient experience. Let's say it's exceptional. They love you. Then they get to billing. I was doing billing research before COVID hit. The two things I found that consumers wanted from a, a billing experience, I want a single bill. And what they said was, I'm tired of being your damn accounting department. I know you've got people you have to pay that aren't on your payroll. That's your problem. You send me a single bill and you figure out how to pay those people. Don't make me be your accounting department. If you can't send me a bill within one month of service, I shouldn't have to pay it. 70% of Americans said that. So that's, that's huge. Think about it. And let me, let me put that in context for you, Chris. When I was doing some focus groups for a client, we were talking about billing. And I had a lady sitting um, to my right, and we were talking about her experience. And she was just glowing you know, I could tell the brand was that the, the health system was excited about what they were hearing, how wonderful experience was. Then she says, and then the bill and the whole tone changed. She said, six months later, um, we don't make a lot of money. So I have to budget very carefully. I budgeted a certain amount of money for a family vacation. Then I get this follow-up bill from the hospital. Once I investigated, I realized I did owe it. But I didn't know that I owed it. I thought I was done six months earlier with paying. This bill shows up. I now have to take the money I had saved for our vacation to pay this hospital bill. She turns to me. She points her finger right in my face. And she says, and now I hate them. Mm. So that shows you how a bad billing experience completely undid 
the most amazing experience that she had. Not to be too melodramatic here, but if we don't fix upfront pricing and back-end billing, I don't care how much work we do on the patient experience in the middle. We're never going to gain trust and we're never going to have that, what I call in my brand equity models, attachment, that emotional bond that we want. Because most people want a relationship, not just a transaction. Um, at least that's what strong brands deliver. And so if we want that relationship so that people use us more and more, you know, that cross-selling and, and life, you know, good customer lifetime value without strong billing and a price shopping experience, um, we're really going to struggle with this. You know, what you're highlighting here is is so significant. I obviously I've personally like felt the pain that that one person, the person, the, the story that you were telling, because I've been through that myself, right? Where you go through this overall experience, it was really good. And then you get this billing issue and it can, can sour the whole thing. Or the overarching story that you're telling here, Rob, is that with the modern healthcare consumer, the experience impacts their brand, the relationship with your brand. And we've talked about this prior to COVID, right? Prior to the pandemic. But now it's only that much more critical that marketing has to play a predominant role in understanding the entire patient experience, even when it's not in our control, right? Pricing and billing are things that we don't necessarily manage. That's an operational thing. We still have to be very cognizant of that when we're interacting with the consumer because they're, like you said initially, right? Their patience is, is wearing thin, in this day and age. Absolutely. You know, one thing I forgot to mention earlier about technology, technology is empowering people to be more proactive in their own care and their own choices. So we're seeing a move from a passive patient to a proactive consumer. That's a different mindset than we saw in, you know, years ago where it's like, okay, doc, tell me what to do. Now it's like, hey, doc, I'll tell you what I want to do. Are you on board with this? So we're seeing a much more aggressive consumer. And again, we have to adapt to our new our new environment. These are just a few of the findings that you had from the consumer insight study that you've done. Um, there are some others that are also really important. Maybe you could share those and also share where they can actually go and download that study from. Yeah, as you say, Chris, this was just kind of the tip of the iceberg that I thought was the most important to talk about in our time today. But we have other issues, non-traditional players coming in. You know, someday we're going to start saying, which I never thought I would say these words, but I could, I can imagine hearing, oh, I've got an Amazon doctor. And CVS has come out and said, we want to own the patient journey from beginning to end. So could we someday have a CVS hospital or CVS doctors too. Insurers want to have the effect they're developing right now, virtual first health plans. So we're going to see a blurring between providers and payers that's going to be very interesting coming up. So the, the bottom line is, do we just allow technology to happen to us or do we get more proactive and and get going and have technology developed by us like we did with virtual visits? And then also access. As I mentioned earlier, time is the new currency and people, especially younger folks, they wanna access care when they want it, where they want it, how they want it and with whom. They're very open to not seeing a doctor, if they can get in to see a PA or a nurse practitioner, especially the younger the person, they're totally fine with that. MDs don't, that title MD doesn't impress younger people like it does older people. Not that it doesn't impress them. It's just they're open 
because they're looking for the experience and the access and the convenience more than they are, oh, I've got to have you know this best doctor. Now, there are times for that if it's cancer, heart attack, I know that. But for primary care and urgent care and checkups, things like that, which most of us get most of the time. You know, fortunately, most people are not having those more serious things. They're having more preventive care and sick care and things like that. We have to adapt to that or we're going to see, you know, as they say, the retailization of healthcare is here. We've got to adapt to that very quickly or we're going to, we're going to find ourselves on the outside looking in. And another one is how people are looking for information. So I've got a big section on uh, do they care more about U.S. news or do they care more about other patient reviews and ratings? I'll leave that as a teaser. I'm not going to tell you the answer. <laughs> I, I could guess, but I think we want to encourage people to go download that study. Where could they find that? Is that on your on your uh, Klein and Partners website? Yes, it's right on our website. So it's just kleinandpartners.com. So my last name, K-L-E-I-N-A-N-D, Partners pearl.com. Rob, we're going to put that in that link in the show notes. And I'm also going to link to your uh, LinkedIn account, because I know on LinkedIn, you can, uh, many people may want to carry on the conversation, learn a little bit more about you. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, Rob, this has been really fascinating. It's kind of, it's always insightful to, to feature uh, some studies that have been done around the consumer. And I you know, can't put look into the magic eight ball to know what's going to be in the future. But I think that these changes that we're describing today are going to be longstanding. I agree. I don't think these are, are short-term blips. I think uh, the guy that said, oh, I think TV is a fad back in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. long. And uh, I think, I think to, to shortchange these changes in consumer attitudes and behaviors would be a mistake. Amen to that. That's a good way to end this interview. So Rob, thank you again for spending your time here. And let's make it a point not to be so long before you're on the show again. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, special thanks to Rob for coming on the show. I always appreciate his insights and thoughts. Chris, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Again, the TPS report. We'd love for you to sign up there. Uh, Reach out to us, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. If there's topics we should cover, uh, guests we should have on, uh, please reach out and let us know. Thanks, everybody, for hanging in with my voice today. I'm just getting my voice back. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for for bearing with us. Uh, a couple recommendations before we, we call it a call today. Reed, I'm going to recommend something that uh, is kind of a tie back to the beginning of the show. Um, I am, I mentioned to you, I'm a serious XM listener. And when I'm driving in my car, I, if I want to hear music, I often turn to channel number 311, which is the Yacht Rock Station. Some of you may not be Sirius XM uh, subscribers, but for those of you that are, make sure to tune in to, to channel 311 because as they say it, this channel is a tribute to the smooth sailing soft rock from the late 70s and early 80s. And when you listen in, you're gonna hear songs from Michael McDonald, Christopher Cross, Hall and & Oates, and uh, other titans of smooth music. So. I mean, if you're a big fan like I am of that kind of genre, 
listen to that. And by the way, if you're a Sirius XM listener, make sure to download the app because you can then listen to it while you're working out or other things while you're walking around outside or whatever it may be. That's my recommendation. Nice. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go off the Halloween theme since this show is coming out shortly after Halloween. So there should be a fair amount of candy laying around. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Sweet Tart Ropes, um, if you're, if you're oh. familiar with these. Um, if you haven't tried them, go try them. Uh, surely you got some sort of a snack pack or, you know, one of those kind of, uh, I've started seeing them more, you know, kind of in the Halloween candy buckets, if you will, with all the small candy bars and things like that. So if you haven't tried it and you like, uh, you like sweet stuff, sweet tart ropes. Well, we didn't give them out this year, but you know, um, I might have to seek those out. It's a great recommendation. Well, again, thanks, everybody. Would love to hear from you. Be sure to tell a friend, sign up for the TPS report, all that kind of fun stuff. But we certainly appreciate the support. And uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reese Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.